Psalm 32 is where I direct your attention this morning. Psalm 32, as we uh, continue now in week two of our series, uh, Worship 101, Living a Lifestyle of Praise. And we've been talking about how to worship all week long. How was your worship all week? You can answer out loud if you want. I'm just kind of asking you really silently, though. I mean, how was your worship Tuesday? I'm not talking about last Sunday. How was your worship, let's say, Thursday afternoon? You say, Todd, this is different for me. I don't know what you mean. Well, welcome to our new series as we march and kind of inspect and journey through Psalms, which is the Hebrews' collection of their, of their worship journalings of their life. I tell you, we had a great time of worship last night in our car. No, it wasn't, you know, what's doing any of that kind of stuff, bouncing down the road. But we were coming back from some time with our in-laws for a few days, and we just got to talking about the past and telling stories. And I don't even know how this happened. We had no guitar, so I can't believe we had a time of worship, you know. But we just were, there was no CD and no tape. And, but we're talking stories about the past, and then we got on the stories about when we were first married, and, and then before we were married, and, and it kind of turned to all the fun things we did. And we're just laughing and cutting up. And, and um, next thing you know, we were talking about how those things started pointing to, you know, a greater thing and a greater reason about why we did that. And, and in that whole environment, you can just sense, you know what? God is so awesome to give us such a wonderful life, to give us such a reason for doing things. And how you can have a job that you like and make a living for your family and just on and on. And our whole car just became a, a house of worship. Or I guess you could say a, a vehicle of worship. And you know what? We didn't sing. We didn't bow our heads. We didn't say, let's have an invitation. We laughed. We cut up. I think some of you this week had moments and times of worship, didn't you? I trust you did. As we learned together how to live a lifestyle of praise and worship. Psalm 32 shows us where that worship lifestyle, where that really begins. So if your Bible is open to Psalm 32, let's look this morning at, at what David wrote in this musical expression he starts in verse 1. He says, blessed. Would you circle that word in your Bible? And hope you have taken a pen out in your Bible. And also in your worship folder, you have your teaching tool handy there to take some good notes this morning. I think they'll help you as you read more in the week and as you reflect on what we talk about this morning later on in the week. The Bible says in Psalm 32, and David writes, blessed or happy. And we mean by that deep down happiness. We're not talking about, hey, you know, uh, the sun's out today. I'm giddy. We're talking about a real deep down sense of happiness, a source of fulfillment. That's what he's talking about here. Blessed, same words in Psalm 1, by the way. But here the man is blessed is not because he's by a tree. It's not because he's planted by rivers of water. It's not because he's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. It's because, watch this, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. That's the man that's truly deep down happy. Now these verses set the stage for the remaining verses of Psalm 32. So it's vital that we understand them. But what David does here is he paints three word pictures of the concept of forgiveness. Which is where worship begins. I'll show you that a little later on. But David gets to the heart of worship. He gets down to the real birthplace of, of a lifestyle of praise. And he paints for us a picture of what forgiveness looks like. Write down first of all. He says that blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. The word forgiven there speaks of the, the physical word picture of being forgiven. It actually means to lift. 
The Hebrew word forgiven has the idea of lifting the burden off of someone. Now watch this. It does not mean to help someone with their burden. If I come over here to Pat, let's say Pat's carrying a heavy load one day. He's got lots of bags or something. I don't know. And I say to Pat, hey Pat, give me some of those bags. I'll carry them for you. He'd say, thanks. He'd hand them to me. I'd say, thanks. And I would, I would carry them. But you know what? He'd still have his own set. That would be a help. But it wouldn't be actually what the Hebrew word here talks about to lift. To lift means if I go to Pat and say, Pat, I can tell you got a load there. You know what? I love you. You're a brother in Christ to me. And as a young pastor, it's nice to have all you believe in me. So you know what? Let me just take your load for you. So I go to Pat and I take the whole load. Actually, he threw it at me. So <laughs> I got the whole load, right? So I take the whole load. I have not just helped Pat. I have relieved him. I have actually taken everything off of him onto myself. That's the idea of the word lift. And you know what? David said here in Psalm 32, Deep down happy is the man whose complete load is lifted away. That's kind of the style's paraphrase there. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus did for you in a physical analogy when He came to you and lifted your sins off your back. And make no mistake, you were carrying lots of baggage. All of us should say what? You know it. Some of you almost said amen, didn't you? I could tell you without to say the old, old word. But, you know, I mean, we were struggling, weighed down with sin, our mistakes, the guilt of all those. And then God didn't just say, let me help you. God took all of our sin and He lifted it off of us. He forgave us. Then He moves to another word picture. He said, blessed is man whose sins are covered. This is a visual word picture. It's very similar to if I had a whiteboard up here. And I wrote some letters or words on it. And then I took an eraser and I just erased them. The word covered here means to erase, to get rid of. In other words, you don't see them anymore. It's, a, it's not just visual, but it's also mental. Psalm 103.12, write that verse down. Psalm 103.12. We talked about it last week in Psalm 103. And it says, as far as the east, let me do this right. As far as the east is from the west, he will remember your sins no more. He's cast them as far as that. You know what that says? That God no longer remembers the sins He's forgiven you of. Now, I'll ask you to do something with me. This could be traumatic. It may stun you, but I want you to follow me. I want you to recall the worst sin you've ever done. Just think about it for a moment. Now, I want to say something that will shock you. You're the only person here. If you've asked forgiveness of that, you're the only one who's thinking of that right now. God has forgotten it. Say, Todd, why did you make me think of that? I wanted wanted to prove a point to you. That often we bring ourselves back to the terrible things we've done, awful sins we've committed. But you know, when God's forgiven us, He's forgotten it. He wiped it clean. He erased it. You know, your memory is sometimes your worst enemy, isn't it? But not with God. Man, God erases. He wipes that stain away. Now, it's different than the word cover in the sense that we think about writing a word and then you know, we might like uh, cover it. It's still there. We just don't want to see it. That's not, God doesn't do that. God erases. It's like if you went up to it and said, there was once something there, but it's not there anymore. Isn't that awesome? I want to say to you, your sins of the past, when God has forgiven them, 
They are gone forever. Like Audio Adrenaline says in their wonderful song, uh, the depths of the sea remembered no more. Man, God has cast them away. That's a great visual mental picture of what our God does for us, isn't it? Then His third word picture. For all of us who are, are brain motivated here, so to speak, He paints a legal picture. This is a great financial word. Look what He says. He says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Underline the phrase, does not count. It's a very financially driven word. And it means that if you take what should be in the, the debit column, you take it away, and you don't just put it in the credit, but you actually take money from someone else's account, you put it in this person's credit, and you say, you know what, I know you owed all of this, but I won't count that against you. Instead, I'll take all of their riches, and I'll put them on your account. What a, what a word. And see, we can all wonder this because of what we get every month. We get our own debit credit statements, don't we? Whether they're MasterCard or Visa or MidAmerican or Quest or whatever you get. You know what? If you took all the debits that your life has accrued sin-wise, you put them in a column. The Bible says here is that that you should have deep down happiness when you realize the Lord does not count those against you. Mine goes for pages. But you know what? When I received the forgiveness that God offered me, He looked at the cross and He saw pages of righteousness that Christ had. And He said, you know what? I will impute. I will, I will credit Todd instead of debiting him. Man, that's an awesome feeling, isn't it? That's why I can say to you without any hesitation, it feels great to be forgiven. I mean, I'm not talking about like, okay, you know, I'm sorry, and God's like, well, try harder next time. I'm talking about physical lifting of a burden, a visual erasing of the stain, a legal removing of all my debt. That feels great to be forgiven, doesn't it? That's what's happened to the man or the woman who has put their trust in Christ. He has forgiven us. That's awesome. Is it any wonder David can now say, happy is that person? That brings some deep down joy, doesn't it? The last phrase of verse 2 is interesting. It's like David throws this line in here. He says, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The person who's really deep down happy is one who has experienced God's forgiveness in so many ways. The full ramifications of it. And then he has this phrase, and by the way, they weren't just glad they, uh, they weren't just sad they got caught. Say it like that. You see, he's talking here about the inner spirit in which there's no deceit. It's not like this. Someone comes and says, well, you know, honey, I, you found out about, you know, what I did and what I said. I just need you to forgive me. So she says, I forgive you. But in my spirit, there's really a sense of deceit. There's really more of an attitude like, you know what? If you hadn't have found out, I'd have never fessed up. I want to tell you something. Those folks aren't happy. There's no deep down joy in that kind of person. But to the person who genuinely, honestly, transparently acknowledges their sin before God, He then lavishes upon them physical, visual, and legal forgiveness. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, that'll bring you to a place of worship, won't it? That'll cause your heart to turn to God and say, Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. And look what happens in verse 3 now. The rest of this chapter relates to these first two verses. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The issue of forgiveness and the whole idea of bringing that 
uh, as, as, as our birthplace of worship. Watch what he says. He says, when I kept silent. Silent from what? Silent from acknowledging my sin. Silent from confessing. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know, David makes some real physical uh, observations here. And I say to you, harboring sin can be damaging physically. He talks here about how his bones wasted away. How he was uh, under uh, God's heavy hand. And by the way, the Bible talks about how God's hand is against the proud. So if you think that God is is like a mean guy, or if God is out to... No, He just has in His character the ability to pour grace to the humble, but He opposes the proud, James 4. That's the same concept here. If we are proud before God as opposed to humble, and, and, and we don't confess our sin, His hand is, is offensively resistant to us. It is heavy upon us. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be surprised there are people in here. We've all experienced this at one time or another. You've, un- you've understood the physical effects of sin. You've concealed things. You've uh, hidden things. We've harbored things. And it begins to wear on us, doesn't it? We can relate to David in, in this verse where it takes its physical toll. You know, ulcers are, are a common result of a sinful condition. Did you know that? You may think I'm being a little crazy here. Maybe not every time. But a lot of times, harboring sin, resentment, concealing issues. Man, just turns your stomach inside out. And month after month, year after year, you know what? That will take a physical toll on you. How much better to just to, to acknowledge your sin before God, to deal with things openly. Now, by the way, I think verses 3 and 4 talk about Psalm 51. And so do verses 5, and actually verse 5 as well. And you ought to mark in your Bible Psalm 51. Write that reference out beside verses 3, 4, and 5. Because in Psalm 51, we have David's great prayer of confession after he covered his sin of adultery and murder for about a year. Think about that. The king of Israel committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and tried for a year to cover it up. No wonder he felt sapped. No wonder he felt like his bones were wasting away. Every morning he would get up, he was looking over his shoulder. Who knows now? Did so-and-so tell somebody? What can I do today? And day after day, week after week, until finally verse 5 takes place. Look at it. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. That word there, that Hebrew word cover up, refers to covering as in a sense of hiding. Not covering in a sense of erasing. David tried to hide his sin. Only God can erase it. Look what he says. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave the guilt of my sin. And by the way, interesting that God did forgive his sin, but he also forgave the guilt of his sin. A lot of us. I want you to know something. God forgives our sin, but he also forgives the guilt. Quit carrying your luggage. Drop it at the cross. God forgave you. It's over. It's wiped away. He lifted it off. He erased your debits. Amen? Man, just let go. David said he confessed his sin. He said, therefore, let everyone who desires to be godly or who is godly pray to you. The hint of that phrase there is, if you want to be godly, pray to God for and confess. He says, do this while he may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. 
You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble. And you'll surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah, which is a musical expression for pausing. Now watch this, guys. Do you see the emotional difference in this chapter? Watch this. David's not confessing. He's hiding. His bones are wasting away. He's groaning. He's under physical distress. He's under inner emotional stress. And then suddenly, he acknowledges him before God and he says, you know what? Now let all the waters come. Let everything flood. It doesn't matter. Jehovah will protect me. That's awesome. If you let unconfessed sin, if you harbor evil, I'll tell you something. It'll seem like the smallest thing will bring you to your knees. But when there's openness to God and you understand His forgiveness, man, let the world march at you. You'll feel like all hell couldn't bring you down. You see, we've heard people say this. Confession's good for the soul. Well, I want to kind of uh, modify that quote. I've got the right to. Is that okay? According to this psalm, confession's good for the soul and body. Amen? Man, your bones won't waste away. Your spirit won't be distressed. You won't sense God's hand opposing you. But instead, man, you'll feel like if the whole world were here, if the waters rise, I'm safely protected with God. Man, forgiveness and confession is awesome. You wonder sometimes why we, why we don't do more of it. Let's read on. The, the uh, psalm changes a little bit and it begins to speak to us as if God were talking to us. And in the Jewish culture, probably at this point, after the, after the songster, as they would call him, the choir director would lead the first seven verses, probably the choirs then would echo back these phrases as if God were speaking. Here's what they would say. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. When does that happen? After forgiveness. After confession. He says in verse 9, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. They will not come to you. God does not want to force your hand. God has given you a mind and an intellect. And He would like for you to come to a reasonable place to say, you know what? Confession is what I need right now. And to bring your sin and acknowledge it before God. Many are the woes of the wicked. Verse 10. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. And then verse 11. I want you to circle three words in this verse. Rejoice. Circle that one in the Lord. Be glad, you righteous. Circle the words be glad. And then sing. Circle that one. Who can sing? Be glad and rejoice. According to the last part of verse 11, those who are up Right in heart. You know who that is? Go back to verse 1 and 2. The upright in heart are those who have been forgiven. Man, when you've been forgiven, you know what it's like to sing, to rejoice, to be glad. Praise God. Thank the Lord for forgiveness. You know, this verse really mirrors a verse in the New Testament. Um, this chapter does actually. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you another great verse that shows us the similar word pictures of the idea of forgiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite verses. I've shared it before, but we've had a lot of new folks in our church, and I think it's important to understand this verse again. I love this verse passionately. And you will too. This is an awesome verse. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Look what the Bible says here. And that is what some of you were. Now, the word were refers to the word wicked in verse 9. Now, don't be offended here. 
But that is what some of us were. We were wicked. It's okay to say that. He talks about what wicked people do in verses 9, 10. But don't forget, it's a past tense word. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? He said, that's what you were. So what takes you from the past being wicked, the were, to what we are now? Here's what I love. He says what some of you were. But you were washed. You know what that same word, kind of the same concept as? The idea of removing the stain. Man, it's not what it used to be. He has cleansed me. His blood has removed the blackness of my life. Then he says you were sanctified. Then he says you were justified. There's a legal word again there. Justified, which means to credit me with someone else's account. In fact, here's a good way to remember the word justification. When God looks at you, He looks at you through Jesus just as if you'd never sinned. That's justification. So how does that happen, Todd? Because He doesn't look at you and your debits or your credits. And by the way, your credits really aren't credits. You know that, don't you? You can work hard at being good, go to church, give money, like, you know, help your neighbor's cat, whatever you want to do there. You can do whatever you want. But the Bible says that even the best you have to offer is like a filthy rag. You say, man, Todd, I'm new to church, I'm visiting here, and you tell me I'm the best I can do is a filthy rag. You know, how hello to you too. Hey, the word there speaks of, of what the lepers would use to bandage their sores, to wipe their, their limbs. It's like you coming to God with rags of leprosy and saying, God, will this work? That's the best you've got to offer. I'd much rather say, God, I don't bring anything to you. But I do confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I do believe He died and rose again. And then God says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do then. I'll just take all of His righteousness and I'll put it in your account. I'm like, hey, great idea! You know what? That's forgiveness. Paul knew it. Man, David knew it in Psalm 32. Truly we can say, listen, it feels great to be forgiven. I don't mind saying that to you. I know some of you kind of like are mental. You're like, Todd, don't operate on feelings. Well, you know what? Let me say it again. It feels great to be forgiven. There's nothing wrong with knowing that my past has been wiped away. I've got a clean slate. He doesn't even remember it anymore. Man, that's motivating. Wow, that makes me want to well up with praise to God and worship Him. Maybe that's why a lot of us don't worship more. Because we don't know how it feels to be forgiven. Man, God has lifted your burden, erased your past, and, and credited you with Christ's righteousness. You're not in debt. You are forgiven. To those who believe, you are forgiven. The other, um, the other day, uh, I wronged my family. And, um, I mean, the minute it happened, I knew I was wrong. And guys, you've been there, haven't you? And you know it the minute, but it takes you a lot longer than a minute to come around, doesn't it? And um, so, uh, after some time of, I don't know what time of what. I just knew, I, <laughs> I just knew, I said, I've got to make this right. I, I pulled the kids together and, I, and Julie and I said, hey, you know, uh, I said, I'm really sorry for, for what I did. I'm really sorry. And I started crying. And my kids are sitting there and Julie's there. And, you know, when you cry, you get like a runny nose, you know, and your lips quiver. 
you can't talk and you're slobbering yourself. And so I'm, I'm trying to talk and sniff and sneeze, and at the same time, you know, I can't do that. And, and I just confessed my sin to him, you know. And I said, that's not the kind of dad I want to be. It's not the kind of husband I want to be. I, I really messed up. I just, I'm sorry, you know. And then one of the kids said, Dad, we forgive you. you know. And so then they start crying. So they're, they're snotting and sniffing and sneezing. And I'm snotting and sniffing and sneezing. And then the neatest thing happens. Brianna, she's sitting on the couch over here. and It was pretty traumatic, to be honest with you, because it was a, it was a very, it was a, um, I messed up. I mean, I, it was a painful moment for me. But um, I was expressing my, my real repentance to them. And she gets up in the chair and she opens her arms. She never says a word. And she runs to me and throws her over my neck. And she didn't say a word. She just held me. And, and uh, I cried more, sniffed more, snotted more, sneezed more. You know, I'm trying to wipe this and this. I, I, I was a basket case. And I thought right then, you know what? It feels great to be forgiven. I was glad God didn't make us unemotional robots. I'm glad I knew what it's like to have an eight-year-old girl say, Dad, we're going to forget what happened. We're not going to put it in your account. And you know what? We're going to lift the burden off of you. She didn't say it in those words. <laughs> okay. But those arms outstretched around my neck, she was quoting Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Dad, happy is the man whose transgression is lifted or covered, whose sin is covered, and whose, whom God does not count as sin against him. The forgiven heart will cause you to worship Christ. Psalm 32.11 It will bring you to a place where you sing and where you are happy and you're glad. You say, Todd, is that really true? Could that be the reason that, that I'm struggling and living a lifestyle of worship? Could it be that perhaps I come in here and expect the church to, to from, this, from this line forward, these guys should bring me to worship? Well, you know what? A lot more happens Monday, Sunday afternoon through Sunday morning to cause you to worship than what any band could produce, than what any preacher could induce. A lot more happens in your life. And you know where it begins? It is birthed and it begins at the place of forgiveness. Let me show you some examples of this. Let me show you the very first time we see forgiveness in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 3.21. These will be quick references, but just look at this real quickly. Genesis 3.21. I think it's the very first what I call moment of forgiveness. Genesis 3.21. Adam and Eve had just sinned. God had just disciplined them. He had placed a curse on the earth. Things weren't exactly uh, fuzzy-wuzzy. You know what I'm saying? They weren't exactly uh, real mushy-gushy. But watch this interesting verse tucked away in the middle of this chapter about the curse. Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe them. Now, do you see the full implications of this verse? He could have said, Hey, you really blew it, man! You see your nakedness now? You see your shame? The whole earth is now in this situation where we're, where, where we're degenerating. It's a curse. Mankind is forever in sin. Way to go, Adam and Eve. Good luck. I've got a world to run. See you later. God could have done that. But in the midst of of, of, of reconciling all these things, God, and I believe the verse implies a couple things, and I want to teach you what I think the verse implies. I believe God, at this moment, offered the very first blood sacrifice. He killed an animal. He let the blood of that animal 
Now, the verse doesn't specifically say this. I realize that. So, I'm telling you what I think about this verse. I think God allowed that blood of that animal to be the atonement for that first sin. He took those skins and He covered those people. And in that whole moment, God was extending incredible forgiveness to Adam and Eve, the world's very first sinners. Can you imagine being them? And you plunge the entire race into what we're dealing with now. That's a lot to bear, isn't it? <laughs> That's a load to carry. I mean, you took the earth, the perfect earth, and now we've got thorns and farmers in Iowa don't like what's going on and we all deal with all... Thanks, Adam and Eve. But you know what God did? He atoned for their sin and He covered their nakedness. What an awesome God. Let me show you something in the New Testament. Very similar. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. A wonderful story here about what I believe is a lady named Mary Magdalene. Now again, the Bible does not say in this text that's who it is. But if you allow me to make a few connections, I believe that Luke 7 is the story of the woman in John 8. She was caught in adultery. And all the Pharisees said, Hey! Stoner! Well, in his wonderful wisdom, he pointed out that all of them had sinned. They left, and he was left with this woman up to whom he said, Go and sin no more. He didn't just write it off. He forgave her, but he expected a holy lifestyle, which is pretty awesome. His forgiveness prompted a lifestyle of worship in this lady. I believe that lady in John 8 is the lady in, John, in Luke 7 now. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 36, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, to set the stage here a little bit, the box of perfume she brought was probably about a year's wages worth. Let's say you make $40,000 a year. If you went out and spent that much money on a bottle of perfume or a case of perfume or a truckload of perfume, whatever, you brought that and then you poured it out. I mean, you didn't save it. You didn't give it. You poured it. To our perspective, you wasted it. That's the, that's the, I mean, that's, that's the extent of this, of this worship. And by the way, let me show you something very interesting. When it says that she kissed his feet, you know the word worship actually means to kiss towards? The word worship comes from two Greek words, meaning to lean towards and to kiss. I think, personally, she did the most literal form of worship known in the Bible. She actually took the word literally and kissed the feet of Jesus. Wow. See, the word worship brings about with it some real intimacy, doesn't it? Let's read on. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and that's a cool phrase there, isn't it? He said to himself, he didn't dare say it out loud. That's kind of like us, isn't it? He said to himself, but by the way, later on, God answered him. So, be careful. God answers your words and God might answer your thoughts one day. Look what he says in verse 39. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So I wonder what he thought he was. I don't know. She, he thought she was a sinner. But then Jesus answered him, which is awesome, isn't it? He knows what you're thinking. What if he answered your thoughts out loud? Whoa, dude, you know, I'm, I'm quit talking and quit thinking, right? 
Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And then he said, tell me, teacher. An interesting word there. I don't think Simon here as a Pharisee was out to trap Christ. You know, the Pharisees did that. I think this guy was a lot like Nicodemus, who probably was intrigued, somewhat attracted, but wasn't sure how to put all this together. So he's sitting here with Christ. He's about to ask some questions. And then Christ says, listen, I got something I want to tell you. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. Verse 41. One owed him 500, the other 50. Big difference. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts. Here it is in 2005 lingo. He forgave. He forgave the debts of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And then he turned to the woman. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? This is some very intense conversation. I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Wow. I mean, he was saying to Simon, listen, you could have got water that wasn't even from you, just your sink. You didn't even do that. But she got water that came from her, her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. I mean, you didn't just give me your stuff. I mean, she gave me herself. Wow, what an identification. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Most literally, has not stopped worshiping. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith is saved. You go in peace. Isn't that amazing? You see the connection in this story between worship and forgiveness? If you take Luke 7, and this woman who owed so much and worshiped so much with Psalm 32 to the man who is blessed because he's been, his debt's been canceled, his past erased, You take those two things, you begin to understand what really breeds a lifestyle of worship in a believer. You know what it is? It's knowing and understanding just how much I've been forgiven. Can I share with you as we close? The worship in Luke 7 was not ritualistic. There's nothing heady about it. You know, the Pharisees want to know where to stand, what to say, what to wear, how to look. Okay, we got it all down pat. Ready, set, go. Let's worship. March, march, turn, left, right, kneel, stand, quote. You know, I, mean, I really don't want to go to that. I don't want to go to a place where it's all up here. Because you know what? That's like the opposite of Psalm 32, 1 and 2. That's the person who's in, who, in whose spirit there is deceit. I'm going through the motions, but I don't really want to be here. That might even describe some of us this morning. I want the worship the woman brought about. Spontaneous. Passionate. We give everything we have to God. Regardless of the cost. No matter what you think. Man, God, here's all that I am. I'm not afraid to identify with you in these times of worship throughout my life. That's what I'm after. Is your worship more up here? Or is it more right here? Let me give you a little quote to end on. Drop this down, take it home, think about it. 
It'll make a difference next Sunday. It'll make a difference today. It'll make a big difference next Sunday. The best worship starts when forgiveness reaches the heart. Psalm 32, Luke 7, Genesis 3. We could go to chapter after chapter. But until forgiveness reaches your heart, your life will probably always be just kind of ritualistic, rote. It'll be worship like at a certain time slot if the guy's got the right chord on the guitar. Strikes a good feeling in your brain or in your heart. But I'll tell you something. If every day starts in the inner circle. Remember the inner circle from last week? Remember that? How to start a lifestyle of praise? By starting every day in that inner circle. Just you with the finger to the heart, not out the window. If you start every day and thank God and say, God, thank you for forgiveness. I'm telling you something. Every day would be a new day of worship for you. There's nothing quite like getting up in the morning and saying to myself, Lord, thanks that when I was 14, You forgave all my sin. A little red-headed kid, smart-mouthed, not much on the ball. You reached down and you chose in your sovereign wisdom to prick my heart towards faith. And you caused me to believe. And you gave me the gift of faith and grace. And I believe that day that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. God, thank You for forgiving me. You know what? There's not a whole lot come along during those days that could really make a bigger difference. Now, I grant you some things happen that aren't great. We all have trials, difficult times. But when you start every day in the inner circle, back at the place of forgiveness, you know what happens? What Psalm 32 says, Let the waters rise! Let them all come at me! I am safely protected in the hands of Jehovah. Man, there's something about knowing you've been forgiven that can build within you a resiliency and a courage few things can. And I tell you, I want to start every day with forgiveness reaching right here. I want to express that to God. And then I want to live my life as a form of worship to Him. Can I invite you to do that today? Draw the circle and say, Lord, thank You for lifting the burden erasing the stain and canceling the debt. I don't deserve it, but it sure makes me happy deep down. It feels great to be forgiven, doesn't it? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, Todd, I listen to you and watch you. I don't know a lot about this forgiveness thing. I look around at folks smiling at you. They seem like they're connecting with you. But man, Todd, I'm like the verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 32. I feel sapped right now. I feel weighed down. I feel like God's hand is heavy on me. How do you get forgiven? Well, you know what we do? The Bible teaches that it all starts at a place called Calvary. There's a reason the cross is in our church, guys. It's not like we're looking for more decoration, believe me. We're trying to get out of this room as quick as possible. We're not trying to stay in it, amen? I mean... But there's a reason this old cross stands here. It is the symbol of where all of our forgiveness started. It's where, it contains, it's where everything happens for those who believe. And if you've not been to the cross, if you've not asked Christ to save you and forgive you, then you're experiencing what David talked about in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. I encourage you to acknowledge your sin before God. Confess your sin. Trust Him as your Savior and as the only way of forgiveness. His blood shed on Calvary's cross will wash away your sin. The prophet Isaiah said, Though our sins 
be scarlet, they'll be white as snow. God's forgiveness is offered to anyone who would simply believe in Jesus as the only way to heaven. Have you done that? Without answering out loud, has there been a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus as the only way for your forgiveness? If not, I encourage you right now, right now, this very moment, your eyes are open looking at me, let your heart cry out to God. Say, God, forgive me. Say, Todd, I thought you had to say like a sinner's prayer. You had to like sign a card and, and say magic words. No, man, a heart that cries out, God, forgive me through Jesus. Man, God will move from heaven in that heart. He'll activate regeneration. He'll save your soul. That's what God does. And right now, man, if, if you're wondering, I, I feel lost. I've never known forgiveness. Cry out to God and let Him lift your burden. Erase your stain. Cancel your debt. So you can be deep down happy. Amen. Man, it feels great to be forgiven. God, thank you so much. Bow your heads in prayer with me, would you please?